Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number six in what I think is just an incredible series called The Spirit of Adoption, a study of uh, rewards and inheritance. And I am telling you, there is more to this, obviously, than I could ever cover in these videos. That's why I've got about uh, 60 hours of uh, audio instruction for you, for people who always want to go deeper, who are, who are looking to take this to the level of a of a disciple who is applying this to their very life. But I just want to jump into this. We're talking about when Jesus says thank you. Now, this, this is all based on uh, like I said, this, the series name of the spirit of adoption. We learned all through the series that the spirit of adoption is not about the Holy Spirit bringing us into the family of God, but the spirit of adoption is where the Holy Spirit is discipling us inwardly from our heart to be able to function like mature sons of God uh, so that we know how to handle our inheritance and how not to squander our inheritance. And, 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 and I'm telling you, it, it, it makes such a difference when you start realizing that most of the uh, parables that we read and think that Jesus is telling you how to get to heaven or hell, that's not what they're about. They're actually about our inheritance. And uh, this is one of the reasons many people today reject the Gospels, because they think the Gospels are filled full of legalism, because they think Jesus, instead of teaching about our, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and our inheritance in those realms, they think Jesus is giving us a, work, a list of works that we have to do in order to be able to make it to heaven. And that is absolutely not what any of the parables of the kingdom are about. Now, one of the things that always just overwhelms me is that no matter how negative something may seem, when, when you see it in the scripture and you isolate it down and, you, and you, you don't really look at the context and you don't look at the bigger biblical picture, I find that uh, usually that which we think is so negative always, always, if we look at the big picture, always has an incredibly uh, potential positive outcome. You know, when I was in Bible college, I, I can't take too much time on this because I got to jump into, into the teaching that I want to talk about. But when I was in Bible college, uh, when I went there, the Lord spoke to me and said, you'll be there two years and you'll leave. Well, uh, pretty much two years to the month, uh, a opportunity opened up for me to go in and, and, uh, pioneer church that wasn't a, it wasn't a raw pioneer in other words there was a group of people that had already began meeting and this sort of thing but really they they, they really had not congealed as a church and so the organization i was a part of wanted me to go in there and turn it into a full into a full-blown church and so i knew I, I knew i was leaving two years and now, now this is getting a bachelor's degree and so I had to go full-time in the morning, full-time in the evening, and I had to take correspondence courses on the weekend in order, in order to get out of there whenever I felt like God was telling me to, to leave. Well, one of the courses that I didn't complete was on the minor prophets. 
And I tell you, the guy that taught this this course on the minor prophets was horrible. I, I'm telling you, I, I could not sit through this guy's class. He was negative. He was off track. He was jumping in and out of the Bible. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm not doing this. And so I, I actually went to see the dean uh, of the school. I said, listen, I, I can't waste my time in a course like this. And whoa, they got mad at me. What do you mean waste your time? Who do you think you are? I said, I'll tell you, I think I am. I think I'm a father with a newborn baby with financial responsibilities. And uh, I'm not going to make it difficult to feed my child if uh, I have to sit this in a class that is totally meaningless. And so I said, I'm not going to do it. I said, you find some, uh, you know, somebody has got to teach class. You find me some other way, get credit for this class. But I, but I am just not going to do it. Oh, man, we had war over that. You can just imagine. Well, they, they actually ended up sending someone into that class and recording it. And the end result was the teacher got fired. He, he, he was so bad. Well, by that time, I had already left. So they wrote me and, and you know, it had, I had been vindicated in the situations. And they said, well, all right, you don't like the way this guy presented the minor prophets. Then you give us an, a, an overview or a way of approaching the minor prophets. And we'll consider giving you credit for that. And so one of the most incredible things that happened, the minor prophets, you know, these uh, books that we call the Minor Prophets, most of them were uh, ministries, uh, prophetic ministries that were going on during the fall and the destruction of Judah and, uh, and Israel. So there wasn't much positive in there. I'm telling you, you had to wait through page after page after page after page of, of God warning them about the destruction that was coming. Now, keep in mind, when God warned you about destruction, he warned you so you can get out of it, but they never, they never would get out of it. But one of the things that was so interesting is I began to see that after all of these scriptures that seemed so negative, you always got down to a place where it ended incredibly positive with God with outstretched hands showing them how that they could recover themselves and showing them how they could return to their promise. That had such a profound effect on me. And yes, they did give me credit for, for the study that I did. I don't think I deserved it, if you want to know the truth, but they did give me credit. And I did graduate and, and got my bachelor's degree in, uh, uh, in theology. Now, when we talk about the words judgment, reward, and inheritance, most of us have a one-dimensional definition of those words. You hear people, the minute you hear people say the word judgment, immediately it's negative. You think it's going to go someplace really, really negative. Or you hear the words reward or inheritance, and you think immediately this is going to go positive. And so we get these static definitions that whenever we read them within scripture, it forces our definition of that scripture, our interpretation of that scripture, to some predetermined uh, decision or belief that we already have, and it is not based on the meanings of those words and how they're used in context. So we find out, for example, the word uh, reward, the words reward, inheritance, or judgment Actually, all three of those particular words can mean something very, very negative or very, very positive. And, you know, we've already talked about these just a little bit. You can have a, a negative, destructive inheritance based on 
uh, how you live your life. You can have a destructive negative reward or good reward based on how you live your life, invest your life in this sort of thing. Judgment is not always bad. Many, many times judgment is good. As a matter of fact, there's many times that the Bible is very specific about the fact that we need to be able to judge ourselves worthy. Uh, that's not negative at all. So, so we have this tendency, again, to create these one-dimensional static definitions and lock us into things that God is not saying and, uh, and we miss the big scope uh, of, of, of what is actually being said. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have what is, I believe, one of these things where I don't, I don't know many people that even want to read this stuff because it talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, our concept of the judgment or of a judgment seat is where we go somewhere and, and, our, you know, and our life is weighed out and we determine whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. Now, that's one of the problems with the way we read Jesus' teachings in the New Testament, because almost everything that Jesus taught in the parables was to look at it from the perspective of the kingdom of God, where we're surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, and we are trusting and obeying his word, or to the kingdom of heaven, where we are uh, uh, viewing it from the perspective of having access to all of God's resources you know, provision and protection. But instead of looking at these, all of these parables from the perspective of the kingdom, we look at these parables as if they are all prescriptions for how to get saved, how to either go to heaven or hell. Well, if, if that's the case, then Jesus is the biggest schizophrenic in religious history, because out one side of his mouth, he's saying how easy and light this is. Now, the other side of his mouth, he's saying how hard this is. And so what we do, we don't pay attention to what Jesus says. You know, when Jesus says, this is a parable of the kingdom of heaven, we look at that and say, a kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, not any difference. And then we read it about neither, and we, and we, look, we look at it as if this is someplace where God's trying to show us how to get saved. It's, God's not showing us how to get saved. And Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are not synonymous. There are no synonyms in the word of God. And so, you know, when we see that it makes reference to something as the kingdom of God, it's telling us to look at it from the view of what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is coming under the rule of God through the lordship of Jesus. Uh, if it says to look at it from the perspective of the kingdom of heaven, then even though it may be the exact same parable, if we look at it from, from the perspective of the kingdom of heaven, God's resources and God's provision, and, and really getting into more of the realm of reaping and sowing, or excuse me, sowing and reaping, then, then suddenly we will see things that we, that we never, ever, ever saw before. But we really very rarely ever pay any attention to what Jesus says. We, we look at it, and we take the word of preachers and teachers and and, and books that have been written about this stuff instead of what Jesus says and how Jesus says to look at something. So there are, there are two judgment seats that are very, it's very important that you know the difference. There are two resurrections, and it's very important that you know the difference. The first resurrection is those who are raised to eternal life because they have been born again their name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, 
by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the second resurrection are those who are raised from the dead at the end of the millennium, and uh, they go before the great white throne judgment, and the great white throne judgment is for people who say, I do not want to accept the judgment of Jesus. I want to be judged by my works. And so they're going to be judged by their works. And no one in that second resurrection is going to spend eternity with God. So, so we as believers, all of us will in fact stand before Jesus. Uh, in the Greek, it's called the Bema seat. It's the, it's the judgment seat of Christ. I, I just want to squeeze this in here really, really quickly. You know, Romans 14, 10, it, it gets into this concept of judging about what you eat, what you don't eat, and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I have a book that's all about overcoming judgment and the freedom that it brings to us. But one of the really interesting concepts is that if we actually believe there is some accountability, uh, before the Lord for our, what we do, for hurting people. If we believe there is some level of, of accountability, it really, according to Romans 14, uh, 10 through 12, it really puts us in a position, according to these scriptures, where we don't have the need to judge people. And we don't even have to trust that if we pass a judgment, our judgment would be right. You know, the Bible tells you absolutely do not judge. Judging more than anything else is when you determine why someone did what they did, and by reaching some conclusion about why they did it, then this is where you determine good or evil, and only God himself can determine good or evil, and only God himself can determine why somebody did something, because that is, uh, that is a matter of the heart. So it's just exciting to me to think that if I trust the fact that every person is going to stand before Jesus and have to give an account, me included, then the real truth is I don't have any need to judge anybody. I don't have any need to form any opinion about any believer. That's going to be between them and God. Uh, they are God's servant. They are not my servant. This is between them and the Lord. So now many people would really balk at that because, because this would seem like, particularly to many people who have a very extreme concept of grace, this would seem like you are, you are talking about being judged for whether or not you can go to heaven, which you're not. This is not even talking about this. This is actually where we go before uh, uh, the judgment seat of Christ and we receive rewards and inheritances. This, that's it. That, that, that's all this, this is. It's not about going to heaven or hell. And it's not even about God expressing any anger with you. And that is what is so incredible. So 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 it says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him or to the Lord. Now, remember, you can only please God if you are in faith. And I'm not talking about the word of faith kind of faith. I'm talking about the kind of faith where you read something in the Bible, you accept it as being true, you surrender to the lordship of Jesus, and then you seek God about how to let that come forth in, in your heart. And so it goes on to say, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'm telling you, like it, don't like it. It don't line up with your theology tough. This is what the Bible says. And so maybe you need to stick into this message just long enough to make sure you get the full picture of what this is talking about. Now, again, this is not the white throne judgment. This is not about who goes to heaven or hell. And when it says that we all must appear, this, is, this really means we must render apparent. So we're we're going to go before 
the judgment seat of Christ where the only being in the entire universe that can know the motivation of our heart other than God the Father is Jesus. And why we did anything that we did is actually going to be made apparent. And there in that place, we are going to receive rewards and we will probably to some degree, our inheritance uh, that we will live during the millennium is probably probably going to be determined at this point in time. Now in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, uh, Paul, is, Paul is talking uh, uh, about this or, and he says, he says, so it's neither he who plants is anything or he who waters, but God who gives increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. There's two concepts that we have about the, about the labor that we do here in life. And uh, uh, that is uh, the ability that we have to do whatever it is God has asked us to do and our willingness to put the effort into whatever it is. And now I, I, there's another factor, and I don't, I don't have time to go into great detail about it here, but I also believe that we're only responsible for that which we have the opportunity to do. I don't, I, I don't need to look at what Billy Graham's doing. I don't need to look at what any other preacher's doing or any other believer is doing and say, oh man, I'm just not measuring up. No, you know, your reward is as great as anybody else's reward if you are being faithful to the opportunities that you have. Now, as I said earlier, nearly every parable of the kingdom discusses the outcome of your life based on how you manage it, based on how you responded to the opportunities that you had to serve people, help people, to win people to Jesus, uh, or whatever God, you know, was leading you to do. So in verse 9, it says, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. And according to the grace of God, and I, I love this, you know, Paul always points out the fact that everything that he has accomplished has been by the grace of God. You know, this idea of grace being, okay, uh, everything's cool. You don't have to do nothing. Don't worry about it. You have no responsibilities. Uh, live any way you want. None of that is scriptural. There's no concept anywhere in the Bible that presents that kind of concept of grace. And so, so Paul is in according to the grace of God. You know, Paul talks about it's the grace of God that brought him into the ministry he has. For by grace you're saved. And it says unto good works. I mean, you can just go through the scripture. There are no scriptures at all about grace making you passive, making you lazy, making you irresponsible, making you justifying living a godless life. None of that. So he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another, or you might even say others are built on it. And that kind of gets back into this idea. It's about everybody doing what you have a call to do, a responsibility to do, an opportunity to do, uh, whatever God is speaking to your heart. That's it. And, and that's all you can do. And you do that by the grace of God, because at the end of the day, uh, uh, all the glory belongs to God. So he says in verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So in uh, uh, verse 12, we get into a section I call wood, hay, or stubble. And this is what you do and why you do it. And so this is where everything in our heart is laid bare before the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So in verse 12, he says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Now, listen, you got, you, you got the fact that with, without faith, it's possible to please God. You got to believe who he is, that he is who he says he is. And you got to believe he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Right here, you know, we have a teaching about what's going to happen when we stand before Jesus. And this is going to be a reward. Now, again, remember this reward, this reward can be a good reward or a bad reward. And um, this reward is, in my mind, is maybe very closely connected to sowing and reaping because in sowing and reaping fruit grows just because of what you have sown it's really not a matter of, of labor and, and dead works or any of that kind of stuff and so so everything that we have built throughout our lives is going to produce good fruit it's going to produce bad fruit verse 15 says now if anyone's work is burned he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet so as through the fire I'm telling you, if more people read, believed, and understood this verse of scripture right here, we wouldn't be, we would not be twisting Jesus' uh, teachings about the parables into how to get into heaven. And again, I'm telling you, if the parables are now, sometimes Jesus will tell you this is about how to get into heaven or this is how to be born again. But other than that, it's usually going to say this is a parable of the kingdom, this is a parable. I mean, this is a parable of the kingdom of God, this is a parable of the kingdom of heaven. We have to read those parables or any of the teachings of Jesus or anything the Bible says from the perspective and the intention that the writer is writing it. Otherwise, we twist it into something that, that really corrupts and destroys our faith. So get the picture here. One of the, you know, you know when, when, the, when the rapture comes, as far as we know, this this judgment seat of Christ will probably happen very shortly after the rapture. Many scholars really appreciate or, or, or believe that. So we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but this is not going to be a time of mourning. This is not going to be a time of, of sadness and sorrow. This is not going to be a time where you stand before the, you know, all this, all the people of heaven are and are humiliated i'll never forget when i first went to the baptist church uh you know they, they pull a scripture out of context and basically they say you know when you get to heaven there there's going to be a big old movie screen and there's going to be a videotape that's going to play everything about your life everybody everybody in heaven is going to see what you did in secret i remember honestly this is probably the first second time i went to a church service after i'd gotten born again and i remember thinking I don't think they're going to show a movie of my life in heaven because I don't think they have pornography in heaven. I thought this is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. When we stand before the Lord, we are not being judged, but our works are going to be judged. Why did we do it? Why did we not do it? Did we seize the opportunity that we had? Did we reject the opportunity that we had? And so, just imagine that you're wanting to present to Jesus 
everything in your life that is worth presenting to him because he's your Lord. He, he's your savior for the first time since the, you know, for the first time ever in your life, since you got been born again, you're going to have the opportunity uh, to stand before him and your, the, your life will reflect the value you have for him, the value you have for, for your salvation. And so everything you've ever done, good or bad, is going to pass through as if it's on a conveyor belt and it's going to go through a fire. Now, everything that is perishable, wood, hay, or shovel, is going to burn completely by that fire. And Jesus is not going to be saying, oh, look at all of this mess you did in your life. No, it's not even going to be there. It's going to, it's going to pass on by. But then there's going to be that which is not perishable by fire, uh, 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 silver and gold, precious stones, and it's going to pass through. And really, all that's going to happen is it might be, get more purified, if you will, you know, by the fire. And so everything that you did that would be something that would be worthy of presenting to your Savior and your King is going to be presented. And that is where you express, you know, you know where your value for, for God, for salvation is clearly expressed. But you know, the great thing is there, this is not just a matter of us expressing our value for Jesus. This is also where Jesus expresses his value for us. You know, in, in the parable of the talent, you remember that uh, the, uh, you know, the talents and what you did with them represented how you spent your life in service of your king and, and, and for the kingdom of God. And you remember in that parable, it says that when you come and you present to the king uh, that which you have done with your life, then your king says, thank you. And here's how he says it. He says, you have been faithful. Like in one case, he said, you've been faithful with much. Then I'm going to make you ruler over much. The next guy comes along. He says, you have been faithful with little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. And the last guy who had nothing. See, we take the idea that because he was cast out of that situation that he went to hell. No, he went through this right here where he had nothing worthy to give to his king. Is there wailing and gnashing of teeth? There, there, there might be in, a, in the sense that people are saying, man, I wasted my life. I wasted my position, uh, uh, my potential, potential position and service in the millennium. I squandered it away for what? For nothing. So that, yeah, that, that, I'm sure there's going to be some of those kinds of feelings. But at the end of the day, your Lord is going to reward you as much as he can. This idea that, you know, that, that Jesus is some kind of socialist and everybody is going to go into the millennium with the same reward, the same inheritance. No, that is absolutely not a scriptural proposition. But here's the idea. You, God is going to say thank you. Jesus is going to say thank you. And he is going to give you uh, an inheritance and reward that will be seen by the whole world as we rule and reign with him in the millennium. Listen, I'm gonna to put together a copy of this. I'm gonna send it out to everybody that, that orders 
or downloads the series, audio series on this. I hope you'll check all this stuff out. I hope you'll be ready to hear Jesus say thank you. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.